hoof like feet, two black eyes, one hump. Oh, and I almost forgot. One corpse for a rider. Now, I'm no pastry chef, but these sound like the key ingredients necessary for this episode's frightening tale. A fascinating story, where truth is somehow stranger than fiction. No, 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 not the one with that oafish man-child, Will Ferrell, and Batman's Rachel, Maggie Gyllenhaal. Although I do love an adult contemporary comedy. Do you remember Dan in real life? <laughs> he slipped on the pancakes. Your head doesn't go there, Steve Carell. Those are for eating. <laughs> That is delightful, but regardless, this is the one where a desert-dwelling mammal with a reservoir of fat on its back was brought to a strange land and learned the difficult truth that sometimes the most frightening monster is mankind itself. Join us, if you dare, on this episode of Cryptified. Hey, let's say, can we rustle up some pancakes? I'm simply famished. children of the night yes welcome in all true believers and truth seekers thank you so much for joining us back here on our fantastic second episode i mean you stuck around for that first one honestly i don't know why maybe you just like us whatever it is we appreciate it you know it was a long time coming had to shake all that rust off Quite frankly, it was the first night we spent inside our haunted Lakeside Beak Mansion. It was freaking terrifying. There are so many ghosts, goblins, specters, everything you can think of. There's a mummy. There's a freaking mummy. And I was out of my elements, and now we're back in. So as always, it is I, your host, Justin, and I am joined, as always, by my wonderful friend and compatriot, Harley. Hello, etc. Uh, so this week's episode is a fascinating one, uh, if I do say so myself, and we have a lot of ground to cover. Uh, some would say a camel's worth of ground to cover, if that were a saying that people said, and if camels were a unit of measurement, but they don't, and they aren't. Yeah, and truth be told, when we chose this episode, it had everything to do with the fact that the image of a demonic camel roaming the desert with a skeleton for a rider is objectively the most metal thing we could think of. Like, that is some bolt thrower, Conan the Barbarian, sword and sorcery, bad assery. Saxon has nothing on the red ghost. Move out of the way, Frank Frazetta. Make room for an unfortunate reality more horrifying than fantasy rooted in violent colonialism. You know, exactly. As we dug in deeper, we quickly learned that really this story is a complex one, which toes the line between fact and fiction. It's set amongst the backdrop of the America's murderous push out west to steal every acre of land we possibly could from the indigenous people who called it home before our arrival. It deals with colonization, war, and the blatant theft and relocation of an entire species all for the benefit and insatiable greed of mankind. So let's for a second zoom out. The Whoop. big picture this week is the Red Ghost of Arizona. Yeah! A demonic camel with a corpse for a rider on a 10-year rampage where a terrified and trampled settlers, miners, and prospectors 
all of which we refer to with heavy, bold-faced air quotes and actually, of course, mean ravenous colonizers. Or, as you guys might know them, Europeaners. Yes. They love to colonize, they those do. fuckers. It is truly the stuff of legend. Terrifying and devastating legend. Yes, emphasis on the devastating part, but still terrifying and true and fascinating. But first... Let us first regale you with the original frightening sightings of this Red Menace before we dive into the why and the how. Also, the Red Ghost, the Red Menace, he is joining a long tried and true list of other Red celebrities. You got Red Skeleton, Red Fox, the Red Baron, yeah, that's right, the Pizza Pilot himself, Little Red Riding Hood, the Red Rocker Sammy Hay. Wait, hold on, that that last one has to be a mistake because no one actually liked Van Agar, right? Red Skull, Red Tornado, Red Hood, Red Robin, Red Misk, Red Bee. Are, are you just naming comic book characters with red in the name? Yeah, did I, did I do the joke right? Red Sonia, Red Cross. Red Robin. Yum. yum. Yeah, did we make that joke? You're right, we did, because the world's a terrible fucking place, and I'm sure you're you know, worried about global warming and, and the stripping of everyone's rights except for white guys. So you can deal with the Red Robin joke and just have a little fun with it, okay? Anyways, to start our sources off this week are primarily coming from uh, the American Heritage and National Geographic, which are, of course, two publications that are generally no-nonsense with the reporting, and as such can be taken with a pretty hefty dose of credibility. Our story begins in the spring of 1883. Pick, dig, if you will, a picture. Oh, no, I'm sorry. Um, two women were alone with their children in a small adobe house on Eagle Creek in the southeastern corner of the Arizona Territory. The men of the family had gone out early to determine how many of their sheep had been slaughtered or driven off by the indigenous tribes in the latest area raid. As we mentioned, this was at a time when America was pushing westward and engaged in a war with indigenous peoples who up until that point, we're simply trying to survive and maintain land that was being constantly stolen from them by some of the most evil villains one could ever imagine, the British. Oh, sorry, uh, they're now Americans. Anyhow, at some time during this afternoon, one of the women left the house to bring water from the spring several yards away in a thicket of willows. A few minutes after she went out, their dogs began to bark, bringing the other woman to the window. All she was ever able to report was that whatever she saw was red, enormous, and ridden by a devil! Oh, yes! Evil, baby! I just imagine, like, I don't know why... But I imagine Bugs Bunny in a devil costume or riding that fucking red thing for the Looney Tunes cartoons. Like, that's just, like, honestly, I don't know why the entire time I read this story. And you guys will see this. Uh, every time they talk about, like, what was left behind by this alleged cryptid, they always talk about these fine strands of red hair. And every time in my brain I pictured whatever that guy's name it was, it was like Smitty or Rufus or something like that, right? I think so. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I picture that stupid monster with the butt-shaped head from the Looney Tunes cartoons. And this might not even be a thing that some of our audience recognizes because I don't know if they put Looney Tunes on TV anymore. Ooh, yeah, but, uh, if you're our age, you definitely saw it. Yeah, if you're our age, you definitely saw it. It also reminds me of, I've talked about before, my fear of a person wearing devil pajamas, and that's directly from Looney Tunes. That comes from some character on Looney Tunes wearing freaking devil pajamas. So anyways, back into our story. So, of course, she heard the screamings, but was too terrified to think of doing anything. Instead, she barricaded the door and spent the day in Carrie White's mom's level of prayer. When, when the men returned that night and heard her story, naturally they lit torches, as was the style at the time, and they went to investigate. Uh, the spring where they found the body of the second woman near the water trampled almost flat. In the mud were the cloven hoof prints, twice the size of a horse's, and clinging to the willows were long red hairs. So according to the story, 
this coroner from Solomonville held an investigation and was left highly suspicious of kind of all the reportings. Yeah. Can you blame him? Oh, that, no. That was at a time when, like, men just murdered their wives for blinking the wrong way. And that was fine. It was completely okay. It was encouraged. They were like, your wife blinked twice in a span of a second? Yeah, kill her. We'll get another one. In fact, I have a daughter you can have. She's 12. And she's not a witch. And that was America at the time. And, um, you know, so besides this horribly battered state of the body and the allegedly demonic hoof prints, uh, he would have been convinced that the woman had just been murdered, likely by other members of the family, because, again, that was a normal thing, as was the style at the time. In the end, however, he permitted the jury to return a verdict of, quote, death in some manner unknown which, and it was reported as such in the Mojave County Minor which is a weekly newspaper in Kingman Arizona that sounds like the laziest out for a coroner oh, ever sure. a death of some kind of manner like what going I, I don't know you want me to look at the body I just I just love that like literally every death is a death of some unknown manner or some kind of you know some manner unknown yeah like like you find a dead body immediately death by some manner unknown is the immediate assumption this man did no work yeah exactly it's like at that time science was as such that like if you didn't witness the murder or you were the one doing it of course you don't know what happened they also this is also science of the time where they believe that like your bad moves was caused by too much bile in your spleen so like it just doesn't you know yeah we're not are you telling me I've been draining the bile from my spleen for nothing then? Yes. God damn it. No you wonder I'm still in a bad that. mood. There's buckets of bile all over the goddamn beach mansion. Well, I, I thought it was helping my mood. It's worsening mine. So uh, a few days later, these two prospectors were washing for gold on Chase's Creek, uh, which is several miles northeast of Eagle Creek, where the first sighting happened. Um, and they were awakened in the middle of the night by when they heard that their tent, like their, their tent just collapsed onto them. Uh, they heard this loud scream and the sound of pounding hooves and saw what seemed to be an impossibly tall horse crash through the brush. That sounds like a hell of a way to wake up. Your tent falls on you and then you're just like, that horse is way too tall. But it's also precipitated by a, yeah! <laughs> <laughs> so... Uh, when they told their tale later at the mining camp, several miners returned to the scene along with them, and along the bed of the creek, they found the prints of huge hooves, and through the brush, a trail leading uphill that had been broken by an obviously large animal. Uh, as before, nothing but a few long red hair clung to some of the bushes. Now, up until now, we've been talking about two things which are indisputable like these are actual facts that have been reported on and corroborated by multiple folks and was reported in the papers at the time however this is around the time when the legend of the red ghost began to get its facts mixed in with fiction for example one story claims that a man had chased the beast and that it eluded the man by vanishing into thin air another reported that he had watched it kill and devour a bear what can you imagine just a fucking demon camel with a skeleton on it going up toe to toe against a bear? <laughs> like, holy shit. Sounds like my future back piece. Like, I'm saving my back Absolutely. for that real estate. That's a hell of a tattoo. All right. So about a month after the death of the ranch woman, however, the red ghost rematerialized bigger, badder, and redder than ever, which sounds a lot like the plot of the upcoming movie. Clifford 2. Yes. Electric Boogaloo. Yes. He's back and bigger. 
he fucking eats Emily Elizabeth and her entire family yeah. and then goes toe-to-toe with the bear. Oof, can't wait to watch that. It's going to be a blockbuster. That's what's going to bring people back to the theaters. Absolutely. Anyways, yeah. okay. So this event took place near the Salt River about 80 miles northwest of Eagle Creek. A rancher named Cyrus Hamblin was out hunting the stray cattle. He climbed a bear ridge to get a look around and across the ravine below him, he was able to barely distinguish a huge reddish animal moving through the brush. He later admitted that despite the deep ravine separating him and this thing, the hair rose a little bit on the back of his neck. He stayed to get a better look, and the animal gradually walked out into a fairly open space. At that point, Hamblin was able to relax. Although the distance was a good quarter of a mile, he immediately recognized the beast with a doubt. This thing was a camel. He could also see that there was something more off about this camel than one would expect and that the hump on its back was topped by an oddly shaped something and at the distance separating them Hamblin was unable to see the something clearly but he reported that it looked to him like a man and of course if it was a man it seemed almost quite certain that he was not alive now Hamblin's reputation was so solid and his story was so soberly circumstantial that most of it was widely accepted and a few weeks after Hamblin's experience uh, the red ghost turned up near the valley of the Verde River about 60 miles west of Hamlin's ranch. This time, a party of five prospectors spotted the now-confirmed animal and seemingly very much not a cryptid, feeding on a nearby mesa and managed to get within shooting distance. They fired and missed. The animal and its weird cargo rapidly trotted out of range. It seems like they have stormtrooper-like precision on on shooting, like just firing shots off willy-nilly. And back then, ammunition was expensive and it took like an hour to reload. And the funny thing about it is like, this is a theme that carries on throughout the story of people just like, there's a lot of near misses between like whoever sees this thing and the thing. And yeah, it's very, very much like a, like a shootout in the middle of Tatooine or some nonsense. Yeah. Or maybe like the camel had like matrix, like Neo powers. And he saw those like musket bullets flying towards him. And he just like did a quick like sidestep and bent his back and just avoided it completely. That's actually the cryptid. That's actually the cryptid thing about this is the fact that unbeknownst to us, this agent was, this camel was an agent of the matrix. and was able to completely evade capture for so long. Listen, we're exposing the truth here on this podcast. So, uh, as it departed, said cargo fell from its back, and the prospectors investigated and found, as the Mojave County County Miner described it, quote, a human skull with a few shreds of flesh and hair still clinging to it. In my head, I'm imagining the the drawing, the uh, the push head, push head, pus head, I always forget. I have no idea. For the misfits of the the eyeball, like the skeleton holding the eyeball. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. For the mommy, can I go out and kill tonight artwork. That's what I'm reminded of whenever they say it's just a skull with a few things of hair on it. I'm like. See, my brain immediately went to, you remember the the, the woman, the the woman zombie from Return of the Living Dead that was like, I can feel my insides rot. She's laying on the table. That's who I pictured immediately. Yeah, I think of her every morning when I wake up after the age of 30, and I'm like, I can feel my insides rot. Let's let's (laughs) dump coffee on my anxiety-riddled stomach. Yep. The gruesome discovery firmly established this red ghost as a living legend and not technically a cryptid. So seeing as the only account of the saga seems to be the one published in the minor, and of course, newspapers in those days were by no means slaves to facts, it's possible that some of these details were flubbed and exaggerated. However, due to the circumstances, this is probably unlikely, because... This 
this wasn't the kind for you know complete and utter tabloid garbage sensationalist that reporters at the time commonly went for like they you know they exaggerated some facts oh, but yeah. they, it wasn't like the national Enquirer. they weren't talking about the bat boy or anything like it, it may be like uh listening to like your your dad's old fishing buddy who always right. like you know embellished just a little bit to make the story a bit more cinematic let's say about a year later, a cowboy near Phoenix came upon the red ghost eating some grass in a corral. He tied a quick lasso and tossed it over the camel's head. Suddenly, it turned and charged. The cowboy's horse tried to dodge but failed, and both the horse and the rider went down. As the camel galloped off in a cloud of dust, the cowboy was able to clearly recognize the skeletal remains of a man strapped to its back. Now, we've hit the point where that's the last of the actual red ghost sightings. Yeah. And Well, at least in the 1860s. Uh, you know he's 50s. still he still may be out there we'll see but unfortunately we reached the point where this story ends rather sadly with the ghost making its last appearance nine years later in eastern arizona a rancher awoke one morning and saw the huge animal casually grazing in his garden he drew a careful bead and dropped the camel with one shot not a stormtrooper no that guy was clearly the boss like the big boss man at the end of the game like he's the one that you got to go up to and save all your hit points for Unfortunately, like I said, further examination of the corpse convinced all that this was indeed the fabled red ghost. The animal's back was heavily scarred from the rawhide strips that were used to tie down the body of a man, and some of the leather strands had cut into the poor camel's flesh. But how the human body came to be attached to the back of the camel remains a complete mystery. And the story really kind of forces us to re-examine what we can identify as a quote-unquote cryptid. You know, the textbook definition of cryptozoology is, quote, the search for and study of animals whose existence or survival is disputed or unsubstantiated. And for a minute here, the red ghost, a.k.a. camel, was very much disputed and unsubstantiated. You know, I was thinking about this a lot, though, because you and I had a conversation about, you know, should we pick this one to go with our second episode? Yeah. Because the first one, Chicago Mothman, easy peasy, peasy, pumpkin peasy. However, this one, a bit more confusing because, as we found out, it's a real story. Yeah. Like, it's an actual real-life animal, an actual camel that literally had a corpse ta- tied to it, and it was traipsing around the, the, the west of America. And it's so funny. And, you know, for those of you that have ended up, like, either following us on Instagram or Facebook or whatever, um, we'll go ahead and share this. But a little behind-the-scenes thing. One of the ways that Justin and I are, are determining, you know, subjects for this episode is we found this really interesting, interactive map just of like all of the different cryptids of North America. That was actually the image that kind of spawned us doing this podcast in the first place. And, you know, so after, you know, we were, when we were discussing kind of how we wanted to go forward with the show after we recorded the, the Chicago Mothman episode, you know, Justin was like, all right, pick something on the map. And both of us were like, fucking camel with a skeleton ride, like knowing so nothing sick. of the story. Just like, yeah, let's, let's do that one. That looks badass as shit. And uh, like, you know, like, like you said, it, it ended up being real, real and not necessarily a cryptid, but a cryptid like in the minds of those who existed around it. And that's what I think is so fascinating about this, because it kind of makes you think about, you know, there there are folks who say that maybe sea serpents were literally a whale's penis sticking out of the water uh-huh. and people didn't know what to think of it or that mermaids were manatees. It's like maybe maybe all of these monsters and cryptids and things that we're discussing have some grain of truth that can be explained but when you think about it for the folks living in stolen land at that time this was literally a creature that had not existed in north america it literally died off like thousands of years before it was brought over they had probably never seen it there was no tv there weren't really a lot of books and magazines available to know what a camel was all of a sudden you just see this insane creature 
with a human corpse strapped to its back. Like, of course you thought it was the most terrifying evil thing you could have ever imagined. And so it makes perfect sense that like the, the tale grew far and wide. All of a sudden there were newspaper articles about it, artwork depicting it. Like it was the talk of the town. And of course, if you were out there riding on your horse in the middle of the desert by yourself at night and like the, your brain is immediately thinking like, Hey, remember that story you heard about that camel, the corpse for a rider? What if you saw it? Wouldn't that be fucking terrifying? And you're like, yeah, brain, it would. Thanks a bunch for making (laughs) me think about it. Exactly. And, and that's the thing too, you know, like, like, like you said, like, um, this whole idea of, you know, are, is there some, you know, grain of truth? I think that's actually really what the field of cryptozoology has kind of been focusing on sussing out. You know, that's why you have all of these countless fucking TV shows about, you know, people hunting Bigfoot in the middle of nowhere. Like, I mean, the, all of these are kind of like going off of nuggets of truth and expanding upon it. So what we have here is actually a, like, almost like we're, we're privileged in that we can look at the history and we're watching the the creation of a fable or a tall tale very much like a paul bunyan type situation you mean paul bunyan wasn't real there wasn't a giant guy walking around cutting trees down no he actually he's actually uh, the brawny man so the guy in the paper towels that oh was, so yeah. that's real yeah Thank the guy in the group, yeah. i thought that was gonna change my whole worldview no 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 but also like you're saying like that i think it's fascinating when i think about aliens cryptids ufos anything is that there is some kind of truth there and the thing is, is i think what we're doing is we're trying to perceive something that maybe our brains don't quite understand. Yes. So there has to be some level of truth to all of this. So it's like I said, for them, this was literally a creature from another land that they would have never been able to go to who is suddenly in their area and he's causing tons of damage. So of course, that's literally the definition of what a monster is. And so it's like somebody recently I remember was saying that, you know, like when you have different kinds of amps with different frequencies around each other, they start to like ping and make weird vibrations because like the one amp is being like, oh, I I can sense this frequency, but I don't know what to do with it. So I'm just going to make noise back at it. So it's like, that's what our brain is doing with like, ghosts and ufos like you know there's all those theories about like other dimensions and your the human eye can only see up to a certain you know standard of 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 uh what do you call it like frequency or whatever so it's like our brain and all we're just trying to make sense of this and that's interesting too because that even kind of and again we're going off on a on a real fucking tangent here as far as like what our brains do but that even kind of uh, explains. You know, they talk about how like there are certain things that we have become accustomed to be afraid of. So like you know when you have like that recurring figure in scary movies and like and like you know scary stories of like the gaunt pale for- person with dark eyes and like you know elongated features. Like when you talk about the psychological impact of where that fear comes from and why that scares us, it it harkens back to us having to firsthand deal with corpses on a regular basis. You know you have these people that are dying all around you and they have gaunt faces, pale flesh darkened eyes so it's kind of like you know our brains are constantly trying to make sense of things but sometimes in making sense it creates these really unique fears that we then have like carried into our modern existence it also harkens back to being a child and you see that lullaby video for the cure and robert smith just looks terrifying hate it so of course it sticks with you but like this is kind of gonna tie into the rest of our episode now though is because this this story made me really sad for a lot of reasons. Yeah. No, number one, I like, and I'm a giant hypocrite in this sense because I do eat meat. But as I've gotten older, I've become very sympathetic towards like every and all animal bugs, yeah. like everything. Like seeing any animal deal with any sort of trauma and and 
violence towards it is the most depressing thing in the world to me. And again, I understand being a cat person and a dog person. I'm picking and choosing what animals I'm allowing to have terrible things done to them and vice versa, but it, it affects me. So that that's part of this. Also, it just continues to remind you that like human beings are the absolute worst. Like we, we talked about it at the top of the episode and you heard the narrator. He's, he's mentioned it as well too. Mankind is just pure evil. Yeah. And that's hard to grapple with the fact we're that bad. like we are literally the we've we're kill the planet's basically dead. Yeah. So many species are, are suffering as a result of it and we continue to just hurt each other and not care about each other. And this this story is heavy, but it's just like I said the way our brains perceive things it's it's all it's all tying in to everything. And I think have you ever heard that theory that the reason they think people are the way they are is because that when the earth tilts on its axis when the earth axis spins it's actually on like a very negative one degree tilt and they think that that negative one degree tilt has allowed homo sapiens brain to expand and become what we are today and why we became the dominant species so it's literally a complete accident just the fact that the earth is one little degree off in its tilt means that that's what created our brains to grow so big and a lot of people think that that's why humans are just the fucking worst because we weren't meant to be like all of this was an accident like it's a happy accident that our brains developed the way they are and maybe that's why the rest of the earth coexists in harmony like yes there's violence and animals fight and everything but the the food chain the ecosystem it's all in a very beautiful delicate balance until humans showed up and started heating the planet up and literally cutting into everyone's ecosystem oh yeah everything would literally be better if we were not here like everything would be better like there there's it's not that's an indisputable fact we have irreversibly damaged this place that we're calling home so to get back to our subject you know the, we this kind of leaves us with this one nagging question it's like you know what happens when a cryptid is no longer a cryptid, you know, is there, is there like, uh, do you kind of have to suspend your disbelief on the entire concept of cryptids as a whole? Do you have to kind of re-examine how you look at the paranormal as a whole? Because obviously, you know, like we've said in the past and how, you know, countless others have said in the past, there is often a nugget of real irrefutable scientific truth to all of this. And it's kind of like, where do you go when the unbelievable is suddenly very believable and very documentable and very um, natural to the world around us? I think then it just becomes the truth, because if all of a sudden some guy's like, yo, this is Bigfoot. I met him in the woods. Here he is. He's real. And Bigfoot's just like, Wah. then he's here. We've just proven like it. All right. So, you know, the same thing about the red, the red ghost. Was it just a camel with a corpse strapped to his back? Yeah. But again, camel with a corpse strapped to his back. Sick as hell. It was real. It happened. That's why we're talking about it now. And what's more, there's an entire side of the story that's not covered by the Red Ghost legend. And it's surprisingly dark. And it's a horrifying one. I mean, the story of how camels came to the United States in the first place. So like our original story, this backstory requires us to make use of our handy dandy time machine. Now, I can hear you saying through the podcast app, I'm sorry, What? A time machine? Yeah, a time machine. It's a special amenity that allows us to go back in time. I mean, it came with the beach mansion that was left to me by my long-lost great-great-uncle slash Harley's Notary Republic. And it's incredibly convenient. I'm honestly surprised how many amenities this spooky beach mansion has. Like we mentioned, the Fanta Fountains. Fanta Fountains. There's the Room of the Eternal Sorrows. That's my favorite room. It's rough. You've been going in there more than once? Uh, yeah. Ugh, don't do that. There's a library that's mostly just hustlers. They, apparently, my great uncle was a huge Larry Flint fan. Yes. Yep. 
uh, you know, there's there's the uh, the stainless steel appliance in the kitchen, which is very nice. Oh, so modern. So modern for an old beach mansion. You got the sex dungeon. Mm-hmm. There's a studio licensed recreation of the Big Daddy for the film Big Daddy. And also his notary republic room. A- apparently there's just a picture of you on the wall that just says number one customer. Why did you need his services that much? I had a lot of things to notarize. I've had to fill out a lot of forms over the last few years of my life, and all of them had to be looked over by someone who wasn't myself. Yeah, and clearly that someone was my great-great-uncle-uncle. Uncle, un- why'd you say uncle twice? Because that was his name. He was Uncle Uncle. His name is Uncle? Yes, and he had great-great foresight, as if he knew that someday his great-nephew and person who needed his notary services would eventually get together and start a podcast for a second time after they retired their old podcast and it would also require a beach mansion with a time machine to get it off the ground it's like we're recording in a spooky peewee's playhouse no not really because a spooky peewee's playhouse is in applebee's and it would be impossible to record there the all-you-can-eat apps it's a madhouse the sound quality would be awful well uh, yeah and regardless this part of the story requires us to time back travel back in time time travel back in time uh, to 1851, when Jefferson Davis, a U.S. senator and future president of the Confederacy, declared it paramount that they ship 50 African and Asian camels into the American Southwest. Yes, he called them the ship of the desert. So let's buckle our seatbelts and take a trip into history. Now, as we all know, time travel has its risks. Oh, hello there, friends. It's me, the narrator, again. And as our co-host knew, time travel contains some risks, not only to their own well-being, but to the well-being of the space-time continuum itself. As they strap themselves into the interdimensional jalopy stored deep in the bowels of the beach mansion gifted to them by Justin's great-uncle-uncle and Harley's notary public, they thought nothing of the terrible future they might unknowingly unleash. With their backs plastered against the well-worn leather seats of the now hurtling tin can they call the time travel device, they focused only on one thing, the fate of the camel, or Camellius Thromedarius, a great desert beast thrust into the unfamiliar territory of the American Southwest by those who had not the greater good of the still-budding nation at mind, but the conquest of peoples unwilling to bend the knee to the egregious colonialism. Thanks, narrator. Unnecessary interruption, but appreciated nonetheless. It was my pleasure. So in, uh... 1851, Jefferson Davis was obsessed with camels. While the idea may seem silly in retrospect, for Davis, acquiring camels was an effort instrumental to the success of his campaign to expand colonial conquest and slavery as far as he possibly could. He sounds a lot like how, like, when you're five, you pick something to be absolutely into, like sharks, robots. Like, for him, it was camels. It was like everything came back to camels. He was just sitting in the Senate drawing pictures of camels all day, like, Very that. I want to ride one of those beasts. Very that. Well, at first, he was essentially ignored. He wanted federal funding to achieve his weirdly specific camel project, and the feds were like, this is ridiculous. You are ridiculous. Why are you going to do this, and what the hell is wrong with you? By the way, have we mentioned that you are absolutely ridiculous? You know, but despite that, Davis kept pushing and advocating for his camel project, which made him, without a doubt, the most annoying guy at the Senate. All right, all right, moving on to Proposition 42 as put forth by Senator Jefferson Davis. Or should I say, camel lover, Senator Jefferson Davis. I see it, thank you. Thank you, Majority Leader. Proposition number 42 is rather simple. Where are my fucking camels? Absolutely, without a doubt, one of the most annoying guys at the Senate. Just like his modern-day cohorts. Yeah, that's right, Trevor Noah. Suck a, suck a dick, okay? We're doing political satire, too. It's not just you. I, 
I didn't know that he was an avid listener of our brand new podcast. Yeah, and he keeps tweeting us like, hey, leave the political jokes to me. That's my thing. And he's I was like, talented. he's he's all right. So as you mentioned earlier, the urgency Davis had regarding this project was due to the fact that he was fixated on colonial conquest and the expansion of southern territories. He argued that camels would eventually become a military staple, offering that they could be used to, quote, hunt down indigenous people living in the region, ultimately ensuring U.S. control across the southwest. Now, Davis believed that if a safe path from Texas to Southern California could be created, white southerners would start to migrate west in droves. Why did this matter? Well, because white Southerners would very likely bring with them their slaves. The end game was the westward expansion of slavery. It's funny to me that it like the stupid reality we live in right now, the idea of like camels going to keep the border safe is like something that a senator would pitch now. Oh, like yeah. one of those fucking slack jawed yokels would like actually legitimately be like, you want to patrol the borders in Mexico? Get a camel. I mean, it has the same energy as, like, you want to prevent school shootings, arm the teachers. or And uh, lock the doors. Yeah, right, yeah. Yeah. Anyways, it's important to remember that this was relatively close to the Civil War. And it's very likely that slavery was already a hotly talked about issue in the American government. The earliest whispers of slave liberation began around 1831, so it's highly likely that, that at this point, Davis and his other Confederate douchebags were very nervous about the future and what it looked like for them. Spreading westward could have likely given them an advantage. Davis lobbying finally paid off in 1855. He was recently made Secretary of War, fucking metal, that sounds like a pretty great title and one that I would like to have one day. God willing, I listen to enough bolt thrower, maybe I'll get there. And he was able to personally see to it that he got his desert ships. He hired an agent and sent him east, stopping in Cairo, Constantinople, now Istanbul. Not Constantinople. Now it's Istanbul. It's not Constantinople. Been a long time gone, Constantinople. Why did Constantinople get the works? That's nobody's business but the Turks. And had him collect a quote, a variety of camels and dromedaries. I don't know how to say that last word, guys. I'm probably fucking that up. It's fine. You'll correct me. Dromedaries. As well as handlers for said camels and dromedaries, as he made his way through, eventually in April 1856, a cargo of 34 animals landed in Indianola, Texas, and just nine months later, another 41 arrived. Before long, the military put the camel and their handlers to work, oftentimes drawing massive crowds while doing so. Uh, camels were entirely alien to the country at this time, and their arrival caused quite a stir with the locals. Spectators would make a sort of sport of the camel's work, erupting into applause after one of them successfully hauled 1,200 pounds of hay in a day. That's bleak. There's not a lot going on back <laughs> Clearly then. not. Jesus Christ. So um, from around 1857 to 1859, dozens of camels were employed by Lieutenant Edward Fitzgerald Beale in several high-profile expeditions across the Southwest. This list of high-profile camel enthusiasts quickly began to grow. I mean, can you blame them? They were essentially the perfect work animal. They could survive without water for long stretches of time. They could lift and carry heavy loads. Oftentimes, they'd travel more than 30 miles per day and consume around half of the food that a horse and a mule would. As Davis hoped, camels quickly became a fixture in the U.S. military, despite a massive list of the generally unpleasant, let's call them side effects, of the, that the camels employ. They were said to sneeze shed excessively, have terrible halitosis, I mean, just smell generally awful, and had a tendency to spit on passerbys. You ever seen a camel in real life? They do love to spit. They I, love to spit. I So I love a camel. I Me really too. do. But I, um, it, same thing with llamas. If I see one, I keep my distance because as a child, I was hacked on 
by a camel. Wow. At, I, like a petting zoo. I fed a camel at Bush Gardens. His, his mouth will like engulf my hand. Oh, it yeah. Insane. Um, but anyways, so word was gradually getting around and people were becoming acutely aware that the Camel Corpse was just a discreet pro-slavery initiative. And in, the, and in 1858, 59, and 60, Congress refused to grant additional funding into the corpse. By that point, more than 80 camels were scattered across military complexes in both Texas and California. But wait, there's more. The camels' ties to American slavery don't stop there. Right, because what originally just started as a military endeavor eventually caught the attention of wealthier, wealthier civilians who, not so coincidentally, were also deeply embroiled in slavery. Are we going to have to go back and cancel camels? Are we canceling the camel? I don't think we can cancel the camel. We can cancel the, cancel those that brought the camels in. What about that turtle that's been alive since, like, the 1700s? Are we oh, going to cancel that, that turtle? Yeah, fuck that guy. That turtle saw slavery and didn't do shit. That turtle just sat there like He that's... saw 9-11 and didn't lift a fucking... Nah. P- nothing. Turtle finger. Bullshit. So, uh, by the late 1850s, planters in the South had gone certifiably camel crazy. Davis's own camel importer-exporter, who also coincidentally dabbled in latex, Henry Wayne Vandalay, had started a bit of a fad after writing a highly republished letter just gushing about the camel's use in plantation labor. Wayne insisted that they could be used in place of mules for most tasks, including hauling cotton. So slavers began scrambling to secure one of the, quote, critters, and in 1858, a cargo of 89 camels docked in Galveston, Texas. Months later, an additional cargo of 21 camels landed stateside in Mobile, Alabama. But that wasn't the worst of it. According to the historian Michael Woods, it's very likely that camels were used as a smokescreen to help smuggle African-American captives into North America. While slavery wasn't abolished until 1865, the slave trade was outlawed as of 1808, and this upset a great deal of transatlantic slave traders. Oh, boo-hoo. Sorry you can't fucking exploit human beings for anymore. Anyways, so they did all what all of wealthy people in power do, and they figured out a way to cover up their transgressions while still getting away with what they wanted. And one of the ruses was transporting camels in the same cargo as African slaves. It should be no surprise that one of America's primary camel importers, John A. McC- was also a notorious slave trader. So the wild thing to me about this, though, is that, you know, you think about, and this, and we'll, we touch on this very briefly later, uh, I think, like, literally in the next paragraph, but, like, you know, camels were not, one of the downsides to camels was how unpleasant they were to be around. Right. So you just think about the already deplorable conditions that a lot of these slave ships were in, and you add to it a bunch of fucking camels, and it, like, it just makes it worse. It makes the entire idea, I mean, yes, the exploitation and stealing of people to abuse for labor is disgusting, and it's an absolute, you know, vile thing that ever happened. And then it's like you almost add insult to injury by adding a fucking ship full of stanky, shitty fucking animals. It's just a, a, a layer cake of vile behavior. Yeah, like we said earlier, the worst villains that we could ever think of in human history, Europeaners. Okay, so moving on. Camels provided him with the perfect cover-up. Slave ships were often easily identified as they contained large water tanks, a backstock of food supplies, and more often than not, carried with them a foul smell attributed to the horrible conditions that the captives were subjected to. Truly, again, just the stuff of, like, terrifying nightmares. Like, just the fucking worst people ever to put anyone through the things that they put everyone through. Like, just, like you said, a long list of fuck-ups. Anyways, um... Well, camels also required food and water, and they notably had a similar odor. With camels aboard, the telltale signs could be explained the way without anyone being the wiser. 
Mikado also had a business partner named Mary Jane Watson that also aided in covering up his illicit activities. She was a promoter and skilled salesperson who would travel town to town selling camels in the Southwest. Can you imagine that? A traveling camel salesman? <laughs> I'm just, just a, a, a backpack full of camels. Knock on your front door. Ah, is the lady of the house home wanted to talk to you about camels? Even with the press tracking Watson, they never suspected Mikado, or at the very least, they never reported on it. When the Civil War broke out, the business between Watson and Mikado came to an end, and to this particularly vile chapter in American camel history. Mikado's ship was donated to the Confederate war efforts until it eventually ran aground while participating in breaking up the Union blockade of Charleston, West Virginia in 1861. Mary Jane Watson drank herself to death in Spain the following year, and the fates of those who arrived in Mikado's camels is entirely unknown. What a way to go, drinking yourself to death in Spain? Yeah. Jesus Christ. After the war, many camels found themselves either sold at auction or simply let loose. A few found their ways into zoos or circuses. Five went to the Wrinkling Brothers while the remainder were let loose in the wild. And for decades, travelers would spot the strange-looking beasts moving across the desert landscapes of the American Southwest. And such is how the story of the Red Ghost began. Uh, interestingly enough, even after the untimely end of the Red Ghost and the camel trade, there are still people that claim to see camel roaming around the vast expanse of the southwestern United States. And some still insist they spotted the Red Ghost itself, wandering aimlessly through the desert with a corpse perched on its back. This is truly one of those stories where the facts are genuinely stranger than the fiction surrounding them. And it just goes to show that people are the real monsters, like, 85% of the time. I may even say, like, 95% of the yeah, time. Yeah, probably. I mean, like we talked a lot about in this episode, this is just a crazy story for the sheer fact that it was a literal camel with a corpse tied to its back. But also, it's just a heavy one. There's, you know, the exploitation of indigenous folks. There's slavery. There is animal mistreatment. I mean, just clearly, white people are always doing the most evil, vile shit. And also, just the fact that this all, well, not all of this, but a great deal of this story takes place in in the either the immediate before or the immediate after of the fucking Civil War, which is one of the bloodiest periods in our nation's history. Like, this entire saga is just drenched with like the blood of of a lot of innocent people yeah and it just goes to show that the legend of the red ghost lives on in infamy and is likely one of the more unknown cryptids if we can call it that that we'll cover on this podcast now harley my friend we've come to the point of every podcast where i have to ask you a question this this better not be the fucking thomas the tank engine thing again no 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 we've covered that Uh uh-huh what do you think about the Red Ghost? Where does it stand for you on the, you know, I guess we know it actually happened, yeah. but where do you stand on the reality of a Red Ghost cryptid? I mean, I, I don't think I stand on the reality of a Red Ghost cryptid anymore because it was proved, you know, to not be a cryptid. However, I do, I am more interested now in some of the stories I've heard about, like, ghost riders and, you know, things like that in in the deserts. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's something that like, you know, I, I, I tried to originally when we, you know, and, you know, Justin obviously knows this, but for the audience, you know, when we, when we were working on this episode, I wanted to do an entire like side section about like apparitions of the desert because you hear about it all the time. You know, anybody that lives out in the, especially the Southwest, especially in, you know, indigenous territory, um, of that region, like there's a lot of weird shit that goes on in the desert. Um, and if anything, you know, this story of the red ghost makes me a lot more interesting, interested in the backstory of, of some of these other desert cryptids, 
you know, because that area was so widely unexplored for a long time. Um, and there's so much violence that came with the colonialization of that area that, you know, there's a part of me that very much wants to be like 100%. There are definitely, you know, there's definitely some bad energy out in the desert that's left over from all this violence. But then my rational brain is like, but what if it's just another camel? At you know? the end of the day, everything might just be just another camel. Everything. And there's our moral of the story. And I think you made a good point. It's like there's so much pain and, and negative energy out there that way that maybe, you know, look at the amount of country songs about it. There's Ghost Riders in the Sky. Yep. There's that one that's like, I've been through the desert on a demon camel. Yep, that's a good one. I forget to mention I'm a skeleton. Yep. A classic. There's just, you know, as I said earlier, this is a fascinating one to me because while it's not an actual monster per se, it was something out of the ordinary. It was a literal camel that did not belong in America who was brought here for nefarious purposes and used against its will with an actual fucking corpse strapped to its back. And it was just trying to live its life. And so many people were trying to kill it. And I, and I feel for this, this camel. And I do too. He's a sympathetic character. It really is. And we wrapped it up another episode in the books. Yeah. So, uh, you know, we would just like to take a second here to thank everybody that hyped up uh, our trailer that we released before the first episode and then actually listened to that first episode. Um, we definitely had to take a minute to shake uh, some of the rust off. Um, I was dealing with some weird nasally allergy shit that first episode, but, um, you know, we couldn't be happier with the show we're bringing to you. We can't wait to explore some of the more weird and wonderful world that we live in with all of you. Truly, thank you all so much. We appreciate any kind words or negative words, just words. We appreciate any interaction whatsoever. That's what we're doing this for is just let us know we're alive and, and well. That's all I can think of, you know, whether, whether it's like, what the fuck is wrong with you two? Love that. Or love the show. Just thanks for acknowledging my existence. <laughs> So, uh, as we talked about in the last episode, we're going to try to end each episode with a little something, you know, like light and impromptu, um, in a segment we like to call what you read and what you watching that just kind of talks about some of the interesting, bizarre, spooky stuff that we're consuming in our day to day, um, lives. So Justin, we'll kick you off. What, what you read and what you watching friend. Okay. So as I mentioned last episode, I am still making my way through black flags and blue waters. Haven't made much headway there. However, I have been reading quite a few graphic novels lately. Uh, read through volume one and two of Something is Killing the Children. So good. Amazing. Incredible. Um, and I also checked out, speaking of this episode, I have checked out The Savage Sword of Conan by Jerry Dugan. It's phenomenal. Rips. It's really a bummer that if you're like me, I know it's not a problem for you. You have lots of comic book apps. But if you're buying it in hardcover or graphic novel form, there's only one volume. And it's so good. So now I'm trying to find a way to hunt down and read the rest of it. Because I'm a big fan of Jerry Dugan. Love his run. And over the pandemic, I realized that, like, I love sword and sorcery so much. And there's a big chunk of it that I haven't gotten into by not reading Conan the Barbarian stuff. So for sure. been diving headfirst into that. Didn't, didn't Dugan, Dugan like re like he, he's the one that brought back Conan, right? Yeah. He, and he brought him back in a very fascinating, interesting way. They also Killer. did the Savage Avengers, which I want to yeah. check out as well. So Wild. super good stuff. Definitely recommend it. If you're a fan of any sword and sorcery, there's a part where he breaks the guy's finger and uses the bone to pick a lock on his handcuffs. It's sick. Love that. And what you watching? Oh, so just finally got to watch Barbarian. Been super stoked on that for months. Uh, Zach Kreger of The Whitest Kid You Know, of course, written and directed by Absolute Masterpiece. And I have also started the most current American horror story season, uh, New York, 
can't recommend it enough. It's like a crazy true detective crime procedural, but taking place like in the New York queer leather scene of the eighties. Like it's love that everything you could ever ask for. Yeah. Uh, I haven't checked it out, but I, but I, since you mentioned it, it's been on my list. Um, so for me, let's see, I, um, I finished reading, like, uh, we talked about last week, you know, the things have gotten worse since we last spoke and other, um, tales, stories. I can't remember the title off the top of my head, but anyway, sorry, Eric, if you listen to this, Eric LaRocca, um, killer guy. Um, uh, anyway, um, so I finished that and I started reading actually a horror manga. I've been really into like the Junji Ito stuff over the years. I think, you know, just, just Japanese horror graphic novels have been crushing it over the last you know 10 20 years Oogum spookum they're putting them on everything yeah so uh but there's a a new one that i was just recently made aware of called ptsd radio um and the first volume just came out in physical format now justin you are correct as you as you mentioned i actually am one of the few people that i read a lot of my comics and uh graphic novels and manga uh digitally just because i uh, don't have the space for long boxes and don't have the shelf for my rather sizable collection of books um and also comics so uh apparently ptsd radio is available in all six volumes already if you do prefer digital comics um it's wild Uh, a lot of body horror a lot of weird uh like like culty type stuff right up my alley perfect for spooky season uh and then as far as what i'm watching i finally got around uh to seeing don't worry darling this past weekend um it's a movie it is a movie that feels like a movie that feels like a movie and uh i was telling justin this uh, i don't really know exactly what happened uh i watched it um and eventually it just kind of stopped making sense i gathered i gathered the story mostly but there's a lot of things where they play with like the disorientation of sound and that shit always fucks me up but i thought it was a really great uh, I thought it was a great film. The performances were incredible. Florence Pugh never, never doesn't deliver. What a national treasure she is. She really is becoming a national treasure. Also, she gets very horny in this movie, and I am just, I need more. She's got a horny vibe. Horniness. And I'm here for it. Yeah, it's great. All of the horniness, please. Um, she brought the nips out to high fashion. She did bring out the nips to high fashion. Um, and I just think, you know. It's it's a great movie. I, I uh, the drama around it too is delightful uh, and delicious. So see it just for the drama itself. So anyway, that concludes this episode of Cryptified. We'll be back in two weeks uh, with another exciting story. Um, so with that, I guess there's one thing left to say, and that's uh, keep keep it keep it crypt crypt keep it crud cryptids. Crypt. God damn it. Keep it crap. And wow. You two are done already? I got to be honest with you, I wasn't paying attention. Was it was it the thing with the pancakes, or...? I've actually moved on from pancakes. We're in French toast territory now. The French, that reminds me. Did I ever tell you about the time Napoleon met the abominable snowman? It's a crazy tale. True believers and truth seekers, be sure to join us next time for another exciting tale of the strange and unusual on Cryptified.